Welcome to the Go Q&A with Diana Lasko, Calkins Media Arts and Entertainment reporter. A sit-down chat with artists in music, comedy, film, television, and theater. Here's your host, Diana Lasko. Illusionist Michael Grandinetti is bringing his brand of magic for a third season to Masters of Illusion on the CW Network Friday nights at 8. Michael is a West Mifflin native and is one of the popular performers from the show's previous two seasons. He has performed some of his favorite illusions on the series, and these include, which are unbelievable, levitating 10 feet above the stage, shrinking a girl to the size of a basketball, causing a live goldfish to appear in his bare hands, and vanishing from high above and then reappearing in the center of the audience. And this season on Masters of Illusion, Michael has so much more in store. Thank you, Michael, for joining me for this Q&A. So so nice to talk to you. So let's get started uh, with Masters of Illusion. Tell us about the show, and how did you become part of the series? Well, we are in our third season of of the show this summer, and I'm really excited about it. It's brand new illusions coming up, things that people have never seen before on television. And, you know, I started with the series back in season one uh, in 2014 when I first went on the air. And, you know, I I connected to this series because, you know, the producers, their kind of mission for the show was to find a wide range of magic from around the world. People who were doing different things, people who were doing unique things, people who were, you know, performing in a lot of different venues. And over the years, I had the chance to do just that, take our magic to so many different places. So I think that caught their eye, and when they called me, you know, we were talking over some ideas, um, because one of my goals is to have, is to create magic that doesn't exist anywhere else but our show. That intrigued them. So we were able to, you know, provide them with some illusions that uh, are really one of a kind. And then as each season went on, the, the fun goal for me has been trying to top myself. How do you, you know, make season two better than season one, and then now that we're in season three, how do you make that better than all the rest? So it's been, you know, it's been a great experience and a, and a fun challenge for sure. Now you're going to be unveiling um, some never before seen illusions. Is that right? In this upcoming season, can you talk about those at all? Yes, I can give you some uh, some sneak peeks into those. So one of the things that I wanted to do was go beyond, you know, some of the standard premises of magic uh, that are really popular. I'll give you some examples. So levitation, making something float in the air. To me, that is, that's one of the most magical things you could possibly do. Now, in season one of the show, I, I floated in the air. In season two, I made one of my assistants float in the air. In season three, to make it different, we're going to get somebody from the audience and make them float in the air. And they had no idea when they came to the TV studio that day that they were going to be taking part in this. So you get to tune in and watch them respond and watch them react to this, you know, really amazing experience that they had no idea that, you know, they just didn't know what was going to be happening to them. So, um, you know, their reaction to it was just, you know, the, the young lady who participated, her reaction was just, was just amazing. So that's one of the things we're doing. We also took one of our illusions away from the stage and we put it down into the audience. Um, because in my live show and the show that I travel with around the country, one of the things we do is, you know, we perform in so many environments. We go to stadiums, we perform with symphony orchestras, we performed in parades, we've we've taken magic to all these places. We wanted to kind of simulate that on television. So this season you're gonna see one of our illusions performed literally two feet away from where the audience was sitting. So they're watching watching real close. 
Um, and then we do magic with objects borrowed from the audience. Uh, you know, and there's even a piece where I make half my body disappear. So half my body disappears, and the other half is still there on stage. So it, it's a lot of fun. I hope people have a chance to tune in, and, and uh, you know, I hope they enjoy it. It, it's absolutely incredible, and I've watched, I watched some of the things on YouTube. Now, you've been on NBC's The World's Most ba- uh, Dangerous Magic, Fox's Bones, Entertainment Tonight, Access Hollywood, Sports Center, My Favorite Soap, which is The Bold and the Beautiful. <laughs> it's just to name a few. Um, now, explain to me, if you can, how does illusion differ from magic, and does it, and how do you classify or brand your own type of illusion? Well, that's a great question. You know, first of all, you know, magic and illusion are, they're very similar. So I'm a magician and I'm an illusionist. You know, the word illusion and illusionist basically connotates larger scale magic. You know, if you're making people float in the air or you're making large objects disappear or you're, you know, sawing people in half, those are larger scale pieces that, that in the, you know, the magic industry we call those illusions. Because that's the branch of magic that I, that I love, and that we kind of specialize in, you know, primarily I'm called an illusionist. But I'm certainly a magician as well, because, you know, magic is what I create. So it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, you're a doctor, but you specialize in, you know, this branch of, of medicine. So technically you're a doctor, but you're also, you know, uh, 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 you know whatever you know, type of specialty you happen to be in that field. It's much the same in, in the magic, uh, you know, vernacular. And then as far as branding, you know, one of the things that I just really love to do is is come up with ideas that are unique to our show. You know, putting my own personal spin on the magic, putting my own personal kind of touches to the presentation, making it very much something that is uh, unique and personal to me. I love that. And, you know, being able to bring things to the stage and bring things to audiences that really haven't been seen before. I'll give you a couple of examples. So we do a piece in our show where I walk through a steel wall. You know, come, growing up in Pittsburgh, you got to do something with steel, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have we have this seven foot tall, four foot wide, one inch thick plate of solid steel, and we get somebody up from the audience and they examine it, uh, and then I walk right through the center of this steel wall. Now that's a piece that took us seven years to figure out, basically how to do it, how it was going to look, how you know how to stage it, make all those pieces come together. And it's something that's never been done, you know, before. People have walked through walls. The idea goes back to the time of, you know, Houdini and earlier. But this particular way of doing it, this particular presentation, this particular, you know, technology that, that, that we've created for the illusion, it's something that's, that's brand new. So, you know, I've had magicians come to the CR show, and they've watched the steel wall piece, and they go, you know, I have no idea how you walk through that wall. And, and they don't want to know. And, and you know, to be able to, to give another magician that sense of amazement, which is very rare, because as magicians, we, we tend to analyze, you know, and try and decipher the magic, uh, because that's how we, you know, it's hard not to. You think a magician will always think like a magician. So to be able to give them a sense of amazement, you know, I love that. So to be different with it, to come up with their own things is really what I enjoy. And, and I think that that's really how we put our own spin on it. I've always wondered that if that kind of dissection happens, you know, when you see when you see somebody else doing their craft. So how did all of this get started for you? Of course, you mentioned, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh as well. Was there did this area have any kind of an impact? Who inspired you as a kid? That kind of thing. Absolutely. I am the 
completely a product of growing up in West Mifflin and coming from Pittsburgh. And first of all, you know, well, it all started when I got a magic set for Christmas, like a lot of kids do. I think it's a you know, pretty popular gift. But for some reason, when I got that magic set, I was just, I was hooked. You know, I was just, it just pulled me in. And, you know, it's, it's funny looking back on it and, and, and thinking I knew at five years old what I wanted to do with my life. But I did. And there was never a point from that time on where I didn't want to be a magician. It was just always in me that this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to go after. But what really enabled me to do that was I came from a, you know, really tremendously supportive family who always encouraged me. They were my test audience. You know, they, you know I would, they were the first audience I performed anything for. My dad would take me to the magic store on, you know, the south side on Carson Street every couple of weeks, and I would spend allowance on, on new magic. And, you know, he would patiently wait hours and hours while I would, you know, go through the glass cases in the store. Um, the store is called the Cuckoo's Nest, and it's actually still, it's still there today. And, um, you know, he would have to go out and put more money in the meter because I would just, again, just take forever. But he was very patient and never pulled me away. And then everybody in you know, Pittsburgh and um, West Mifflin and the surrounding areas just supported me. They would hire me at 12 years old when I first started doing shows to to perform at their events. I mean, adult functions, corporate functions, um, you know, neighborhood events, uh, anything you could possibly think of. And they never treated me like a kid doing magic. They treated me like I was just a magician. And so, you know, when you're impressionable and you're starting out and you're you know, um, just getting your feet wet with all this, to be given that sense of acceptance and that sense of confidence um, was such a great uh, a great gift I was given. Um, and that's what gave me the motivation and the, and the, you know, I think belief that this could just completely be done. So, yeah, Pittsburgh and West Mifflin and growing up in that area and, you know, obviously my family support, that that made the world a difference. That is fan- that's fantastic. Um, wh- um, was there a transition that you made to Illusion, and when did that happen? Well, that actually ties into the previous question, because when I was you know, talking about the opportunities that, that the area gave me, when I was, so it was always my goal, first of all, I'll say it was always my goal to do large-scale magic, to do Illusions. I, I just knew, you know, that that's where I wanted to go with this. When I was 16, the band director at Westmanville High School, um, Ed Hansack is his name, he came to me and he said, you know, I hear you're a magician. Can you create uh, Can you create a piece of magic to make somebody disappear from the football field? And we'll put it in the halftime shows of, of the, you know, of the football games. Now, I was 16. How many 16-year-olds, you know, have somebody come to them and say, hey, let's do this? You know, and we're going to get you out of classes and you're going to go down to the wood shop and the wood shop students and the teacher are going to build this and you're going to tell them how to do it. And, and that's what we did. And when I was 16, um, we created this illusion. It was all created in house in the high school, you know, designed by me, built by the students staged. It was staged by all the students and, and, you know, the parents who were involved. And, um, for two seasons, we made a girl disappear from the football field and reappear in the audience during the band's halftime shows. And that was the first big thing that I did. And from there, you know, I was often running with the larger illusions and I started to add larger pieces to the show. But, but again, that, 
you know, having that chance, having that break really um, was tremendously helpful. Did you, is there somebody, um, an illusionist maybe that inspired you as well growing up? You know, I would watch every magician and illusionist that I could. I would, every Saturday when the TV listings would come in the newspaper, I'd, I'd grab them first and I'd go through line by line and see if any magicians were going to be on, you know, talk shows or sitcoms or, or anything. Um, another thing that I would do is, you know, there was no YouTube, there was no internet back in these days, so I would write to magicians all over the country and trade videotapes of, you know, magic that we would record off of TV shows. And just because I wanted to see as much, I guess that was my YouTube of, of the day, is trading these videotapes. And, um, you know, trying to be exposed to as much magic as, as possible. And so I built this collection of, you know, hundreds of videotapes by the time I was 15, of just magic from all over the place. So, so I think the answer to the question is, you know, there wasn't any one particular magician, but I studied everything that I could, you know, about magic. Are, are there skeptics? And what do you say to them? Well, you know, I think, I think in anything, not just magic, I think there's, you know, sure. there's skeptics. But, you know, when you watch, I tell people this, when you watch magic, it's like watching a movie. You know, as magicians, we're not saying it's real. But what we're asking you to do is like when you watch a movie or like when you watch a television show, just let go of trying to analyze it. Let go of trying to decipher it and you know just believe in the fantasy of it believe in the story of it you know even if it's just for a half an hour on television or 90 minutes in a live show you know let that go and, and it, just and just be entertained yeah yeah absolutely because there aren't many things that provide us with a sense of amazement you know we go through our day we're happy we're sad we're stressed we're tired but feeling amazed is pretty rare so i always like to encourage people not to take that away from themselves. See, the real secret is, if, if you learn how the magic works, you're not hurting the magician, you're hurting yourself. Because the magician will still perform, but you now can't be amazed. So, you, you are robbing yourself of a really rare and positive emotion. So I always try to explain that to people who may be somewhat, you know, skeptical or not sure how to, how to you know, how to take the, the, the magic. Now, all of it is just truly amazing, and I know you can't tell me how, so I'm not going to ask, <laughs> but, you've done, but you've done some really unusual illusions. Can you say what is the most difficult, and then how, what do, where do you come up with these ideas? Well, there are several of them that have been challenges over the years for different reasons. I, I'll give you a couple of examples, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. So... You know, there's a piece that I do where I get, uh, we did it for NBC, it's an escape piece where I get chained up to this frame between these walls of steel spikes, and there's 24 steel spikes on either side of me, and the spikes are on this giant spring mechanism, So, and it's all connected to an hourglass. So when the hourglass runs out, the spikes fly towards me at 50-5-0 miles per hour. Oh and to make it worse, they light the spikes on fire, and then they cover me with gasoline. <laughs> so, you know, it's, and I gotta tell you, it, the danger is real. I mean, those spikes, they're not collapsing spikes. If those spikes come in at you, they're gonna hit you and they're gonna hurt. So, you know, the danger is, is no illusion, it's very real. So making sure that when you do something like that, 
all of the details are in place. All the preparation has been done. You know, all of the even backup plans are in place is really important. You know, um, so that's a challenging piece um, because safety is involved. Every illusion is challenging because there's a million and one details involved. But that one you could really get hurt in. So that has its own unique challenges. So that's one of them that comes to mind. Another one is, is the piece where I levitate in the air. And we've taken that to stadiums where we've been surrounded by 70,000 people. And the challenge there is, you you know, people are watching from 360 degrees. They're watching. They're looking down at you. Um, you know, when you're in outdoor stadiums, there's weather to contend with. There's wind. There's sunlight. There's, you know, it's not a controlled environment like you're, at, you know, on a stage or, you know, like at Heinz Hall or the Biome or the Benenum in Pittsburgh. You're, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, as far away from a controlled environment as you could possibly get. So, uh, so that's been, you know, that was challenging. We had to think long and hard on how to make everything work uh, in those environments. And, but I love it. You know, it, it's such a thrill when we, when we do that levitation. We've done about 20 of those stadium shows now. And each time, it is, just, it is just so exciting for us. You just never, you know, it never loses its thrill. Um, another piece, I'll give you one more. Last year, I levitated to, to, promote, to, promote, to promote Masters of Illusion last year. I levitated above Hollywood Boulevard for four hours. And I was about 15 feet, 15 feet in the air. So, you know, the double-decker tourist buses that would go down Hollywood Boulevard, <laughs> I was right at the height of the people sitting, like, at the top of these buses. So I could look at them and wave and we could talk. And they said, you're pretty high up there. Um, and, you know, for four hours, it was, it was, um, it was uh, you know, quite strenuous, but, but, uh, but completely fun. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. So a lot of these things have been challenging for, for different reasons, but, but I will tell you this, you know, the, the reward, the reward of watching people react and watching people respond makes all the difficulty and all the challenge of it, you know, completely worthwhile, for sure. And this, and this may seem, based upon what you've just told me, this is going to seem like a really stupid question, but is there anything any illusions that are taboo, maybe because they're seen as bad luck or something, or is there anything, anything that you wouldn't do or that you, that, you know, have you come across ideas and go, no, uh-uh, no. <laughs> well, you know, from a, from a challenge standpoint, there's nothing I'll turn down. There's no challenges that I think is too big for anybody to overcome. I mean, that's just, you know, it's not just about me, but, but anybody. I think, you know, I always try and think big and, and don't put limits. When I'm creating an illusion, I don't put limits on what, uh, um, you know, what we can do with it. I think that thinking large and, and thinking as, as grand as possible is important. So, you know, no, but, but I, will, I will limit. So everything we do has to be, it has to have class to it. It has to have case to it. It has to, you know, be viewable by a family audience. Um, you know, if anything is too, uh, for example, we're working on a new song in Half Illusion. It's going to be very visible, and it's, you know, no boxes. We're going to have a giant 40-inch 40, 40 buzzsaw cut through one of our dancers, and she'll be pulled in half with no boxes. But it's not going to be gory. It's not going to be scary. It's going to be dramatic. She'll be interacting. She'll, you know, you'll see that she's fine and that she's having fun. Um, so making sure the presentations are always in line with, um, you know, a, a family audience is something that I'm 
very, very aware of it and always, you know, making sure that, uh, that we're in line with it. That's who I am as a person, you know, that, that's, um, that's my style. So that is something where I'm, you know, where I do put limits on what we do or don't put in the show. Now, how many people are part of your, um, your stage show? Well, you know, it takes quite, quite a few people to, to, to do a large-scale illusion show. I have, you know, four dancers. We have five or six um, illusion technicians. We have people on lights. We have people on sound. When we travel to a different city, uh, the theater has their own crew uh, or the arena has their own crew. You know, the production team there who are, you know, are part of the show. So it, it's quite a bit. You know, that's why I always say we. I can never say I. And people always ask me, who's we when I say we? Well, you know, it takes, it takes, it's truly a team effort to do an illusion show, you know. So there are a lot, you know, you may see me out front and yes, I, you know, I create the magic and I do, a, you know, you know, I'll, I put a, certainly a, a lot of work into it, but but it's not a one-man effort. There's a great team of people that I work with. In addition to Masters of Illusion, um, what else is on your horizon, and how can people find out more about your work? Well, I'm traveling all the time. I, I, you know, I'd say about 80% of the year I'm on the road, all over the country. So just this week, we go to Dallas. Uh, in two days, we're doing a baseball a show at one of their baseball stadiums. And then next week, we go to San Francisco, and we're performing at City Hall. And then back to Dallas for a you know a rather large uh, event going on down there, and and again we just finished you know two basketball shows. We were in Milwaukee, and we were up in Oakland, California for the um, for the uh, for the NBA. So we're on the road all the time. I would say the best way for people to find our schedule is to connect on social media. You know, I'm on Facebook under Michael Grandinetti or Twitter under Grandinetti MG. Or my website, which is michaelgrandinetti.com. And uh, I always welcome people to connect or even if they have any questions, you know, by all means, you know, get in touch. We love to hear from people. So connect and find Michael. Don't miss Michael Grandinetti as part of CW's Masters of Illusion Friday nights at 8 o'clock. Michael, thank you. You are a delightful young man. Thank you for joining me as part of this Q&A. And it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great talking with you. You've been listening to the Go Q&A with Diana Lasko from Herald Standard and Calkins Media. Subscribe and listen to current podcasts of this show available for download from the Herald Standard podcast channel at the iTunes App Store.